Welcome to the Shack 15 Conversations podcast, where we invite founders, innovators, and changemakers to share ideas with the community, speak to the experience of building their businesses, and unlock some of the hard-earned wisdom collected along the way. In this episode, we'll join our moderator, Marcus Colombano, founder of creative studio Pineapple, as he dives deep with Ellie Pritz an internationally recognized photographer, director, and producer on how she creates magic through photography in the modern age. We'll discuss what it was like to lead Apple's infamous shot on iPhone campaign, examine how the proliferation of new technology is transforming photography as an art form, and look behind the curtain at the stepping stones that played an instrumental role in shaping Ellie's career up to now. Enjoy. We are so happy to um, welcome Ellie Pritz to our virtual Zoom living room and, and have an opportunity to, uh, to speak with her. Thank you, Ellie, for joining us. You know, you have had the most amazing life that started really early on. You know, you are a very skilled musician. You're an incredible photographer. Um, you are a technical mastermind. You are a creative director. Uh, you are a film director. Um, you're a business owner. And all of I just, it's kind of like overwhelming. It makes us all feel like, oh my God, we, should, we wish that we could all be that. Um, I'm not quite sure how you fit that into one life, but <laughs> you, you have, and it's amazing. And, and I think that what we want to do today is just kind of learn a little bit more about you and kind of start from the beginning where you know where did you grow up and um how did you get into get into music uh well i grew up in chicago and i think i always appreciated music but as a performer i started as a young kid i want to say between the ages of six and eight playing violin um and that was very much my father's doing, he signed my sister and I up for instrument classes. And at the time, I absolutely hated playing violin and violin lessons. And, you know, as a kid, you just don't want to be forced to do anything. But honestly, I am so incredibly grateful because although I didn't stick with violin, now I play cello and I sing and all of that. Um, those years were so critical in me getting a grasp on music and theory and performance and, um, it's permanently part of who I am now. So I'm very grateful. Did you transition from violin to cello um, early on? Um, no. Um, no, no, no. I didn't transition to cello until I was basically in high school. So pretty late. Um, but prior to that, I had taken up singing and singing lessons and I just wanted to try a different instrument and I, had tried a few others in between, like saxophone, that didn't go so well, but cello really, really stuck. So is it something that you uh, maintained through your, your whole life or kind of what was that process? I definitely walked away from it. Um, after high school, once I got like college level, I, I wasn't finding it as enjoyable as it had been in high school. And so I, I decided to um, I decided to focus on photography so I actually kind of stepped away majorly and then I moved to Los Angeles a few years ago and through 
honestly, initially no effort of my own. I somehow fell into doing some sessions here and there and gradually started playing more and more. And then last year, last fall, I performed for the first time publicly in like 15 years and joked that I came out of cello retirement and now I'm doing <laughs> more. I'm in a virtual cello choir now. Um, so called the COVID Cello Project. Look us up on YouTube. So yeah, cool. I'm having a second wind. <laughs> So, I mean, I think, I think we find that happens in that, those transition periods where we're dictated by our parents uh, about the things that we discover. Um, so music and then the cello and you found photography in the middle of that. So you found another passion mm -hmm. that took its place. How did you end up discovering photography? Because I think that if anybody in the audience knows who you are, people know of you as this amazing photographer. And I think that given, given your generation, the way you started photography is actually slightly strange uh, because you discovered photography in terms of using film. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I th um, I'd love to hear about that story. Yeah, I, again, this is gonna go back to my dad because my father, is an amazing photographer and he studied photojournalism in college and I think um, while he didn't push that on me as much as the music it was definitely an influence um, one that I, I think I more or less kind of tried to resist until high school when I was I think a freshman I had an opportunity to take a summer course at Columbia College in Chicago that would actually count for college credit after I graduated high school and I just picked photography um, and it was, you know, black and white traditional film photography, which to, to be fair, at the time there were like digital cameras, but they weren't the level that they are now professionally. So I still feel like film was, was being used for work at that time. And that's what I did for, I focused on film for about five or six years before I let myself be more commercial and actually let people hire me and made a business out of it. So, I mean, you, um, you got really heavy into photography. What was that transition like um, between film and digital and doing it, you know, in terms of kind of educational love of, film, of photography to being more commercial? Um, I was highly resistant to it, I would say, for a number of years. Um, I just wasn't really interested in in transitioning i didn't think that i could make a career doing this i thought it was a hobby and um also again like the price of a digital camera was prohibitively expensive for me i, I it was only like 19 at the time um so i resisted it for as long as possible but then and i you know decided to make a change in my life and take more control over where my career was going and where I was going. And I bought my first digital camera, which was like a Canon Rebel, one of the first ones. It was under a thousand dollars. And um, I started there. I got a Canon Rebel and I went on Craigslist and did any work that anyone <laughs> needed done, whether it was paid or not. Um, so even though I resisted it for a while, I mean, the transition was actually kind of amazing. Um, these things that were taking me hours and hours to do in the dark room, I could open Photoshop and do in a few seconds. And you, you literally just said flat out, I'm leaving college and I'm gonna go do this as a job. 
Yeah, pretty much. I tried a few times to go to college. Um, you know, everyone wanted me to go. I think I knew in my heart that school was never where I was going to thrive. I, I don't thrive in that environment. Um, but I tried. I really did. I tried going for criminology. I tried going for music um, and photography at the end. And then I was like, you know what, this isn't for me. So I just started my own business. <laughs> Very cool. So the, I mean, you, you moved into digital photography and you very quickly developed your own style. And, you know, we talked a little bit about this uh, a couple of times, the process where you kind of learned to do what you do. I mean, you're very, I think the one of the things that's really powerful about learning about you is that you're self-taught in a lot of ways. Um, and you, you go and you find things, you discover ways to do things out in the real world that most people you know, go through the formal process of being taught to do. Um, I'd love to hear more about how you have gained your own style through learning out in the wild. <laughs> in the wild, I mean. In the wild. Yeah, um, I, I feel like it's all an evolving process, but for me, there is definitely a big shift. Um, when I first started digital photography, I was still shooting, I was shooting normally and then converting everything to black and white because I just didn't know what to do with color. I had worked so long just in black and white film that once I had color at my disposal, I just felt uncomfortable with it. So I didn't really use it. And then I challenged myself again to be more colorful in my work. And I also started working more with musicians at live concerts where the lighting is more interesting and colorful. and I, I just started experimenting and in Photoshop initially, but once I got on Instagram, then there was this whole nother world that I was exposed to of other styles of photography and these crazy edits that people were doing on, on their work to make it completely otherworldly, um, involving even graphic design elements. And it just sparked this thing in me to, to really challenge myself to create my own world. So as uh, stylistically, what about, I mean, tools and um, processes? I mean, I think, I mean, the cool thing about art is you can definitely learn uh, from others. I think a lot of artists keep their process secret because <laughs> it's their own. We're definitely in a world that's much more social and much more about teaching other people. People are interested in learning from other people how to do things and then making it their own. I'd love to learn about that. I mean, part of, I think part of what uh, is cool about the, this, the, the world that we're living in right now is we're forced, forced to live online and be social. I mean, face it, you and I met on, well, I, I didn't meet you until just last year, but I, I actually met you because you liked something that we posted <laughs> on Instagram and we kind of reached out to each other and, and started talking. And because of that, we're doing this kind of thing. Yep. Online, talk about the, the, the social nature and like learning from other people and learning about their tools and. Yeah, I, so in the, my early time on Instagram, I quickly fell into a large community or sub community on Instagram of people who are really passionate about editing. Um, and what they would do is uh, they would share photos, like they would go on a vacation and then put all of their unedited photos on a Dropbox link and then just put that link as their link in their bio on Instagram. 
and people like myself and my internet friends could go try out all these crazy edits on these beautiful photos of places that we might not otherwise get to visit. Um, and I enjoyed that so much that I decided to create an app, an iOS app called Hippo that essentially existed just to facilitate that. It was a collaborative photography app and it was amazing. And, and the whole community and teaching each other how to edit and experimenting with each other's work and seeing the different iterations of or different versions of different worlds that can be created with the same starting image. I learned a lot from doing that and from, from just the community that I found online. So I mean, this all, this all is going on while you're working at Apple, right? Yeah, so that, yeah, we're like jumping around a bit. No, no, it's great. Um, but I mean, I think that there's an interesting, uh, definitely an interesting story there. It's like, you're, you're one, I think the very nature, I don't know if everybody got this, is you've gone from being a classically trained musician to being a film photographer, to being a digital photographer, to um, being a, I call it a social photographer, to collaborating with people online around photography and photo editing while you're doing work at Apple. And, yeah. <laughs> um, and I think that this one's this very telling of, of who you are is to facilitate the process of social editing, you learn how to program. Yes. Yes, I did. I had started teaching myself how to code a bit to make basically websites when I couldn't afford to hire someone to make one for me, my first um, photography site. And um, I took online, like free online classes on Code Academy. And so I had a basic knowledge of kind of how to do it, but I was extra motivated because at the time I was working for Apple directly and I was living in Austin, Texas and Swift, which is a programming language that Apple had created specific for creating iOS apps was just kind of becoming a thing. And we were able to get free education on how to use this programming language and use Xcode and things like that. Even though it had nothing to do really with my job at the time, I was a production designer. So I was just kind of mooching off of the free education and I was very inspired. So I decided that, um, and in, and to my own credit or to the credit of others, I only got so far in this process before I had to hire extra help because it is not easy to build an app. Maybe maybe it's easier now than it was, but it's not easy. But I, I still learned so much. Um, but I, I actually left my job at Apple to do this. Um, and, you know, initially it was, going to be a temporary thing. And I had an amazing manager who understood what was going on and was like, all right, well, we'll see you in three months because that's how long I thought it would take for me to make it and then have it completely bomb. And I would go back to my day job, but that's not what happened. And I did it. I didn't ever go back to that job. <laughs> so, um, so you, Hippo was the, was the app you developed. Mm -hmm. And um, what did it allow you to do? Hippo allowed, you is pretty simple. You would have a profile kind of similar to Instagram and you would upload any photos that you wanted onto the app and then people and the community on the app could download those photos and do whatever they wanted with them and then you upload them back and um, essentially it allowed it, 
it was a feed very similar to Instagram, but you would tap and hold to see before and after of different versions of edits on the same photo. So it was a lot like Instagram, but with added functionality that was really focusing on showing a transformation between an unedited image and an edited image. And um, yeah, it was just, it was a community. Real, very cool, but and, and Hippo ended up going places. It did, it, uh, yeah, it did. <laughs> it, it went really well. It kind of blew up quickly, um, not overnight, but over the course of a like three hour flight from Texas to Illinois when Mashable decided that Hippo was its app of the day and they put it on their Snapchat and then I landed and everything was broken because we had like 10,000 new <laughs> users sign up all at once and um, yeah, so it got, it got a lot of good press. It got a lot of traction um, very quickly after we launched before I thought we were even ready for it, but that's, you know, that's just how it goes. Very cool. And then that ended, ended up getting purchased? Uh, how, what, what was the end direction no, with that? You know what, there were um, a few interested parties in acquiring Hippo or just acquiring our user base. Um, and in the end, I decided to just let Hippo retire naturally and I kept the Instagram page up so you can still go on Hippo, Hippo app um, and see these amazing edits that people did. But um, yeah, I decided, I decided to just not sell it. Um, so it's still, it's still there. <laughs> yeah, um, but you, you actually transitioned into a really interesting role. Apple came back to you. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> years later. Um, yeah, I ended up working. I ended up working on other things for Apple later, years later when I moved to LA, completely different team, different work. Um, was very fortunate to be sought out to be on the team that worked to launch Apple's Instagram account, um, which was like a dream come true. And which was also related to the uh, shot on the iPhone yeah, so work as well. Right. So the shot on iPhone campaign is obviously those big billboards that you see, but also it's, it's the Instagram account as well. Anything that's, that's showing the amazing imagery that can come from your phone, it's shot on iPhone. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. But I think that, you know, this, all this work really um, positioned you. I mean, Wired Magazine uh, voted you as like one of the top photographers. Um, it was time. Mm -hmm. But, time. but I was mm -hmm. also a different thing that I worked on was in a was mentioned in Wired as well. Yeah. So I think that I mean that's just amazing. But you did a lot of you've done a lot of work and your 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 style has really just created this amazing and we talked about this, it's kind of created a kind of organically created this brand. When you find when you see an Ellie Pritz photograph. Or actually, if you look at Ellie Pritz right now, you can kind of see the 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 brand, and people recognize it's very um, intense um, infrared-like color palette, and the your your photographs are beautiful combination of landscapes. A lot of them are landscapes, right? And but uh, you've developed this kind of really deep, authentic brand that I mean is one of the reasons why I was like so attracted to 
your your work initially and then uh, spurred on the conversation. Some of my work and, and actually go through a specific process that I went through to create another world um, on this planet. You know, very, very vibrant, um, but mostly landscapes and uh, usually devoid of people or maybe one person for scale. Not very narrative driven. When you take a look at your photographs, um, I mean, you, you, it feels like you're very heavily influenced by the infrared color palette. Yes. Um, did you shoot infrared film before you switched to digital um, or did you find that just kind of in your you know, kind of in your social travels how did you get exposed to that i wish i could have shot real infrared film it is not easy to find um it's pretty expensive to get like original um infrared film color film um but i have seen and been very influenced obviously by imagery that was taken back when that film stock was a bit more common and also just by other artists that I found on platforms like Instagram who are using these vibrant color palettes as well iOS apps that can emulate the effect of infrared film um, apps like neon cam and full spectrum and specter um, these are just a few on iOS that can give you that same look and I just used it to experiment there are some film stocks that are kind of similar now. There's like a Loma Chrome Purple, which is really cool, and I do shoot with that. I also take regular film and mess with it. I soak it in different chemicals, solvents, food products, whatever, um, and it can also create kind of these kind of trippy, otherworldly, colorful effects. So that's another way that I've achieved it, but it's a lot of experimentation. Yeah, very cool. I mean, um, the apps you use, to, how did you, uh, how do you discover apps? Um, um, the same way I discovered you guys. Um, I just spent a lot of time on Instagram and I somehow came across images that were really, really beautiful and vibrant and interesting. And there's, you know, dozens and probably hundreds and thousands of hashtags that are associated with infrared or infrared looking imagery. And I just fell in real deep um, and fell in love. <laughs> really cool. So the, your, the social setting is a great way for you guys, for you to discover apps. Yes. Um, and then have you gotten into conversations with other photographers about process? Um, yeah, I, I want to be more, to have more of that. I'm actually trying right now to work on some Lightroom presets. Um, I don't, actually normally use them and it's not part of my workflow, but I realize that um, I get a lot of people asking how I color grade and it's so not teachable in my head. I just don't know how to describe it. It's, it's, it's a constant experiment. I don't have like um, a filter that I just can apply, but I'm going through the process of trying to make stuff like that so that I can share and on Lightroom that, that will allow people to see like, basically all these different things that I changed to get these looks. Um, I want it to be more open and collaborative. I love when I see people posting things and they say like, this is inspired by Ellie. And I love seeing that. Very cool. 
you take a look at you know your your photo project that you've done. I kind of want to go broader into the other projects you were you're working on. But when you think about your photo project, what's your favorite photo project that you've worked on? That's really hard to answer. There's so many that I like. Um, I think right now I actually still feel like 2100 is my favorite because it's not that old so I'm not sick of it yet and it's space themed which is a huge thing for me. I love anything space themed um, and it's near and dear to my heart and you know what it's also co it correlates with how much work I put into it. Um, as beautiful as my landscape photos can be there's not nearly as much work went into taking the picture behind me as any of the pictures that I just showed you. I needed to have a team of people who helped me to put things together. I had to rent costumes. I had to coordinate things and rent an Airbnb Airstream trailer. And so I appreciate the fruits of my labor more. So I'm going to say right now that 2100 is um probably my favorite but there's some other big ones that i can't talk about yet that i'm really excited about that hopefully we'll be able to see this year or next year excellent i mean but you bring up a really interesting point so i i think one of the things that we're getting from you i mean so much of art these days or, or in the recent past has been about singular artists doing their work um alone and presenting it to the world um, I think social media um, has opened up the art process to a lot more quick criticism and or, or compliments and or collaboration. Yes. Um, and I think one of the things that's really striking uh, about you is your drive to collaborate. And I think a lot of the projects that you're working on now speak to that. But the very, the, the very nature that you, you talk about your favorite photo project being a more collaborative process speaks to more of the the filmmaking process or the music making process the kind of symphonic as you said you you're in a cello um choir um yeah. can you talk a little bit more about your collaboration and the projects that you're doing now that are more collaborative rather than singular yeah um i so i had my first gallery proper gallery show um, exhibition last fall that initially was going to be just a, a you know, a no, normal solo photography show, but I, I felt even in that um, setting, like I, I wanted to collaborate. I want things to be bigger than just myself. Um, so I turned it into a, a collaboration with the Joshua Tree National Park Association and the Mojave Desert Land Trust to raise funds for them. So the whole thing ended up being a fundraiser and I had a, a whole body of work that where the proceeds, all the profits go back to these organizations. And then I, I was like, well, that's not enough. I need more collaboration. I'm going to invite um, musical guests, right? And, and had an amazing composer, Dave Valdez, come in with an incredible violinist, Zachary Paul, and we all performed a piece um, that Dave wrote and I had created visuals for. So just kind of mixing the minds of, of musicians and causes that I care about. And I had been planning an, an even bigger version of what I did last year that is space themed this year, but um, due to current events, that's not gonna happen this year mm -hmm. anymore. It will probably be next year and 
probably even bigger and more amazing than it could have been in 2020. So I'm really excited about that. That's great. We did, you know, we're smack in the middle and missed Apollo 13's anniversary, which is really sad. We, there's so much that could be done with that. Yeah. Um, and and the uh, uh, the um, space station's crew coming coming back to a different world. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, there's there's definitely things that we can do of like the things we missed in 2020. Um, yeah. As an opportunity. Um, this brings back, I mean, let's kind of like start back where we, we started the conversation. You, in, in this whole process, in this whole kind of travel, you started to embrace the cello again. Yeah. And you've brought this into the mix of things that you do. Um, and not only are you an amazing photographer, but you are also applying your music to, to creative projects. Yeah, um, music has always been very important to me and is an important part of my workflow even when I'm not working on music, which is most of the time still, I'm not, I'm not working on music, I am working on visual things. Um, so the work that I create, the visual work I create is very strongly tied to music. Um, so it's just natural, I think, that, that it will always play a part in my life in some way. Very cool. So, so you've been applying and if, get me wrong if I um, if I'm mistaken, but you, so you've been working in film, mm -hmm. uh, which is visual, but you've also been applying film and music together. Um, and you recently have done some projects around that. Yeah, mm -hmm. in the last um, couple of years, and I I've also been working as a director and kind of just visuals creator. I've worked on several music videos, um, where the last one I did was actually the first one where I was asked to do something that really wasn't narrative at all. They wanted me to just create th this visual feeling that matched up with their song, which was like my dream project. Um, so I just did that in the last couple of months. It's, the band is called Black Bones um, and I have it on my Instagram page and it's on YouTube and, and my website if you wanna see it. Um, but yeah, things like that, kind of just melding the visuals and music together, that's, a, that's very, very important to me. Yeah. And it's highly collaborative um, as well. Yes. I mean, yeah. it doesn't work unless people are working together. Yes, and I love working with and helping creatives and musicians in particular. Very cool. So kind of round back to, to like where you are now, ever the entrepreneur, um, <laughs> You've you've taken this this work that you've you've done uh, creatively um, and your work in social, and you're on a new venture uh, that you uh, just launched last year. Yeah, um, I yeah decided to kind of branch off from the big agency ad agency world and um, where I've been working as an art director and decided to. First, I was just consulting, and then the the consulting was ramping up to the point where I, I didn't have the capacity to keep up with it just by myself. And I saw an opportunity to collaborate and work with amazing creatives and just amazing minds in general that I had worked with at other big companies, um, people that I really admire, and essentially put together a, a little boutique um, 
marketing, specifically social media marketing agency called Supermassive Social that I launched last summer. So yeah, that's another thing that I've got going on and I'm really excited about it and the amazing team that I have working on these accounts. Is there a, is there a favorite project that, a recent project that you worked on that you can talk about? Yeah. Give us an idea of the kind of things that you're doing? Yeah, for sure. Um, this one's pretty timely, um, but I would say less than a month after I launched, I had the, the actress Rose McGowan reach out to me about having myself and my agency help her to basically sell out her first tour as a musician in promotion of her first album um, called Planet Nine, which is actually being released tomorrow. So really excited for her and I admire her so much and it was so much fun to work on all of that for her because again, it com came back to music and being able to work on things that were visually super, super cool and her music is so cool. I mean, the whole concept of Planet Nine is literally this other world um, that she's creating. So very in line with myself personally um, and tons of fun for my team to work on as well. Very cool. Well, I think this is a perfect time to open um, you know, for questions from um, our visitors. Um, uh, what do you think the, the future of photography is gonna look like? Will Instagram continue to be the main platform for people to share this creative? Will there be other platforms? What do you, how do you see the future of photography going? I think the, the angle here on the photograph, on the, on the question is, um, given the social world, what are the other platforms that are going to play um, in that space that Instagram's been playing in already? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I don't think that social media and social media platforms are going anywhere. Um, I don't believe that any particular platform is going to be around forever, including Instagram. Um, I think right now is a really good time to ask a question like that because there was a court ruling recently that has pretty, pretty heavy implications for the professional photography community. Um, Instagram is a beautiful platform for photography, but at the end of the day, it is it is not built for photographers and there's some legal things about the terms of service using Instagram where you're, you're kind of, um, you're allowing for your images to potentially be used without your permission. And that is very much not what we want. So it's hard to say, um, but I don't think that Instagram is going to be the very last place that you see this much visual content on. I think, that one day there will be another big contender that might sway us all over, we'll see. But um, despite the issues, the glaring issues with it, um, I do believe that Instagram is still incredibly important uh, and pretty necessary for visual artists in general to be present on. Excellent. Um, Another question is, um, what is the number one place in the world you would like to shoot? If you had the opportunity to shoot in space, would you go? Absolutely, I would go to space, like no questions asked. Um, but here on Earth, Antarctica. I really, really, really wanna go to Antarctica. Um, 
I'm going to go to Antarctica. I'm going to make it happen. It's not an easy or cheap thing, but I have been trying to get grants to do it and working towards that goal. But yeah, absolutely Antarctica or outer space. <laughs> <laughs> what, um, what was your experience like venturing off, committing to your solo work at the beginning of your career? Uh, terrifying. <laughs> it was it was scary. It was a scary, it was a scary time of my life for a lot of different reasons, to be honest. Um, but sometimes, sometimes the, when you're at the very bottom, it's kind of the best place to be to creatively reinvent and move forward and do something even better for yourself. But it was difficult. It was, I was starving. I was extremely poor for a long, long time, like way longer than I think nor is normal. <laughs> but I was very committed and I remain very committed to the work that I do and the people that I help and the clients that I serve. Um, but it was not easy. I was starving. I, I literally did any gig that I could get paid to do as a photographer. So weddings, baby pictures, ed everything. Um, and I hustled really hard. <laughs> what, what kept you going? What was that fire that, that kept you going through the hardest times? I just didn't, you know, I, I, to be honest, I don't think I ever gave myself a second to, to reflect on it. I just made a decision and, and went with it. And I'm still, only now am I like looking back and reflecting on everything that I've done. It is important to stop and appreciate the things that you've done and your accomplishments and be happy for yourself and see where you're going and where you've come from. But at the time I just, I had like a fire lit under my ass and I was like, I need to succeed. I need to succeed in order to survive. Which photographers do you admire and why? There are so many, um, like so many. The first one that I will, that I can think of is Neil Krug, and I hope I'm saying his name correctly. Um, he is amazing, like almost depressingly amazing. Whenever I see his stuff, I'm like, oh my God, it's so much better than anything that I could do, which is not like the most positive mindset, but his work is amazing. You have to see it. You've probably even already seen it um, just because he's pretty popular, but he was the first artist that I found on Instagram where I was like, whoa, this is, this is like, it feels like channeling into my brain and what I'm seeing. But I do, if you follow me on Instagram, I do go out of my way every week or two to share work from people who I admire. Um, Cause there really are so many. Um, and I'm very happy that I get to see all of this different work on Instagram. Um, but yeah, definitely check out Neil. Excellent. I mean, I think this is all kind of like, we're all kind of thinking about this, but um, how do you stay creative um, while you're in quarantine? Um, I think mm. a good thing to think about is, how has it limited you? Um, and how has it allowed you to be more creative? Well, everybody's different. For myself, um, the biggest limitation is a physical one, because as you can see in all of my work, being outdoors um, in these kind of otherworldly spaces and national parks and things like that, that are not where I live in Los Angeles in the city, being in those places is pretty important for me to 
create my work. And um, I don't have the ability to, to go to those places right now. So in that sense, it's very restricting. However, there I have such a backlog of photos that I've never edited that are just sitting on hard drives um, that I've been able to deep dive into my archives and go and, and create more work from things that I had already shot. Um, for, that is the photography side. On the music side, it's been amazing because like I mentioned, I'm in a, this virtual cello choir now that never would have happened if it wasn't for the crisis that we're going through right now. And it's given me the ability to reconnect with music and playing in a group again that I actually don't think I would have had that opportunity if it wasn't for a quarantine. Um, so you win some, you lose some, but I'm still getting inspiration mainly online, which is where it was happening to begin with anyway. Um, I just have a lot more trips planned as soon as this is over for places that I need to shoot at. Very cool. Yeah, it's, I mean, I think of this, this time, I mean, a lot of people talk about this time where they feel this push to just be productive. Mm -hmm. um, and, and there's like this group of people are like, oh, the world is going to end. What's the use? <laughs> um, or I'm going crazy. I'm going to be productive. Um, and they overproduce. But I think that, you know, this idea of the creative process is one where you can't, you can't rush it. Mm -hmm. And right now we have the time to be actually truly creative. And I think that true creatives are inspired and motivated and uh, are more capable when they're given constraints. Yes, yes. And you couldn't pick more constraints than this. <laughs> yeah, too many. But you're right. I mean, that, that's been my experience as well. That's why things like that creativity matrix that Linda showed me are so helpful because when you have the whole world of ideas at your disposal, it can be overwhelming. But by giving yourself these restrictions, even if you decide to break out of them, it's just knowing that they're there. Um, it's, it's important. But, you know, while everyone does it differently in it and I don't think there's one true right way to go about staying creative if it's even a priority I think the big priority is just to take care of your mental health and if that's creating or if that's binge watching Tiger King on Netflix that's fine <laughs> um you know I we're getting close to time I think a great way to end this is you know what 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 advice could you could you give to burgeoning creatives, people who want to be creative, people who want to find a passion. Um, what do you think is important to keep in mind when people are thinking about um, kind of going off and doing that? And I think that a lot of people during this quarantine time, and this is a great kind of connection to that quarantine question, is a lot of people are thinking about remaking themselves or readdressing what's important to them yeah. and following new pursuits. Uh, because we've all been given this permission slip to think about our lives differently. Yes. And, and that is an amazing opportunity. And it's also a very challenging thing for a lot of people, myself included. Um, but I think um, my advice is, first of all, every, I believe that everyone is creative in their own way. 
And the most important thing is for you to, to create. And that sounds really simple, but oftentimes when you're trying something new, um, it can be very scary. I know it's very scary. It still happens to me. And when you're scared of something, you might not do it or it might, you might do it and not share it. And my advice is to use things like social media as a playground to experiment with whatever it is that you are passionate about are going to try and to try to not let the fear of being criticized, ridiculed or rejected get in your way. There are haters, they're going to be there. But I think you'll find that when you put yourself out there, people that resonates with people and the more that you put out there, the more that you're doing, I think the more benefits you'll reap and you will discover a lot more about yourself and who you are as a creative in the process. And before you know it, you might have a completely different career or a different brand or who knows, but the most important thing is you have to actually do it. Um, thank you so much, Elliot. Oh, as it, as it always is, it's a joy to talk with you and I'm glad to, to have the opportunity to share our conversation with uh, Shock 15's audience. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for our next Conversations podcast coming soon. If you have a story that needs to be shared, we'd love to hear from you. For more information on Shack 15 and our community, you can email info at shack15.com, connect with us on Instagram, or visit our website at shack15.com.